Thank you so much. Today, I want to speak to you about the parable of the leaven or the parable of the yeast, depending on what translation that you're using in your Bibles. Um, it's found in two of the Gospels, so Matthew 13 and, Matthew, and Luke 13. And I want to read it to you from Matthew 13, verse 33, first of all. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So when I was asked to speak um, in part of this series, I was looking through the list of parables thinking, okay, which one should I do? I could go for the obvious choice and do the money ones, but I wanted to do something a little bit different. And I kept being drawn back to this parable of the yeast. And I sort of kept putting it to one side because it's only one verse. And seriously, how much can I get out of one verse? But the other reason I kept being drawn back to it was because it was about food. And I'm a big foodie. Those of you who know me, who've eaten at our house, know how much I like to spend time preparing food, feeding people, going to food shows. Oh, yes, invite, yes. Um, going to food shows, watching MasterChef. Any MasterChef fans? Yeah. Yes, any Bake Off fans? So that's me in a nutshell. I, I love anything to do with food. And I am a very experimental cook. So I may open a book for a recipe and I'll look at it for an idea, but I don't stick to it. Um, there may be an ingredient I don't like and I'll substitute it or I'll just come home from the office and I'll open the cupboards. What have I got? Let's throw that in the pot and see what happens. And generally the kids and Danny don't moan about it, so that's all good. Um, but over the years, as I've tried to um, venture out into the world of baking, I've realized that that approach doesn't really work. And so... Um, I would look at a recipe and I knew that I would have to stick to it rigidly because the ingredients have to be right, they have to be in the right proportions to each other and there's this whole other scientific thing that's going on in the background that if you mess with these rules and principles you're pretty much guaranteed a failure. Now a couple of years ago um, myself and Kim who is Pastor Mark's PA we were approached by another staff member to see if we would be willing to make her wedding cake. And we were really excited that she'd thought about asking us to do that. And we just said, yeah, of course we'll make your wedding cake. And then I got home and I'm like, what have I done? What do I know about making a wedding cake? It's only going to be the centerpiece of this lady's reception. All our friends are going to be looking at it. All of our friends know that we made it. They're going to be eating it, so no pressure. So we set about... Um, practicing and if I never saw another Victoria sponge it would be too soon do you know what I mean it was there was cake everywhere cake in the freezer in the garage cake in the freezer in the kitchen cake in Kim's freezer cake in her mom's freezer cake in my mom's freezer everybody was being fed cake but I learned so many crucial things in that time and in that learning process that it wasn't just about the ingredients on their own. I had to ensure that the environment with which I was making the cake also worked. So along the way we had a few disasters and one of them was not visible until we actually cut into the cake. So we'd been in a bit of a rush, we're trying to get so many done in this practice session and I hadn't taken the eggs and the butter out of the fridge. Anybody who's a baker will know that that is a big, big no-no. 
because those ingredients really need to be at room temperature to work properly. And what happened was the cake looked beautiful and it actually tasted great too, but the texture was all wrong. It was dense and it wasn't light and fluffy as it should be. And then another time, I'd set the timer on the oven. It goes off after it's 20 or 25 minutes. I look through the door, beautifully risen, a lovely golden brown color. I'm thinking, yes, now's the time to take that out. So I open the oven door. I bend down and pull out the cake tin. And within literally 10 seconds, this whole thing just collapsed. And I ended up with an 8-inch Yorkshire pudding in the, in the tin. It was not a success whatsoever, just because it had one minute, two minutes, two less in the oven to, to set that structure. So I understood it's not just about the ingredients, it's the environment as well. So back onto this parable of the yeast, and I know that Jesus doesn't just use examples in scripture like certain trees or um, certain fruits to explain a point. They're not just um, thought of out of thin air. He has characteristics in those items that are very, very relevant to the point that he's trying to make. And so I knew that yeast wouldn't be any different. Now, first of all, I'm going to prove to you how much of a foodie I am. You see my Mary Berry bag? And it was her recipe that we were using for the cake, by the way, because we knew that one would work. But in my cupboard, I have yeast. And it comes in little packets that look like this. And it's all sort of dry and granular inside. And you just literally put it into the mix. And I know that this will cause a reaction in the dough and it will cause it to rise within about an hour and then it's, it's ready to bake. So that is the purpose of yeast, to create this change within the dough that it's introduced into. Um, and it only takes, there's about seven grams in there, and I know you can't see it, but it's about two, two teaspoons at most. Um, and it has the ability to convert a, a dough made from quite a significant amount of flour into several loaves of bread. But what I discovered about this type of yeast was that it's only been available for the last 150 years at most, the late 1800s, thereabouts. And so I knew that there was no way this was the yeast that Jesus was talking about. So what was the type of yeast he was talking about? And was it any different? Did it behave any different? Did it have any different characteristics? And what I found was quite significant. Anybody familiar with soda bread? Sourdough, sorry, not soda bread, sourdough. So sourdough is still available now and is still used, but they do not make it with this stuff. This in the jars that you can see in this diagram is a sourdough starter or a yeast starter. So I want you to ignore jar number one for a moment. And what would happen is they would take equal quantities of flour and water and mix it together put it in a clean, sterile jar, and then it needs to stay in a warm environment. Now think about the time of the parable. They don't have modern kitchens like we have with um, electricity and fridges and cookers with temperature control and all of that. They would have just placed this outside. And what happens is the yeast within the flour and the water start to ferment and produce little bubbles of carbon dioxide. And it would also extract from the atmosphere any natural occurring yeast particles that were there. So those would be added to what was already in the jar. 
Then on day two, what would happen is that part of that starter in the jar would be discarded and thrown away, and it would be refreshed and fed with fresh flour and fresh water. And this would happen every single day, throwing a little bit away, adding fresh flour and water, until you get to day seven, when you can see a dramatic difference because it is full of carbon dioxide bubbles and it is now ready to go into the dough and it is at this point that it's actually going to do the job that yeast is intended to do, cause the bread, the dough to rise so that it can become bread. Um, the jar number one, you'll see it's labelled as dormant. Now if you don't feed every day the starter, what happens is the water that is in the flour starts to separate and sits on the top. And the flour mix underneath is very, very dense and hardly any air in there whatsoever because it has effectively just gone to sleep. It's gone into hibernation. If we were to put that in the dough right now, it would just be a flat pancake. It wouldn't have any effect whatsoever. So if we wanted to use that, and it is still usable at this stage, we would need to go through the feeding process again, day one, right the way through to day seven, to reactivate that, to make it usable. So, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast. What does that mean? Well, in Luke 17, verse 20 and 21, it says, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven resides within us because of salvation. So what are the lessons that we can learn from the characteristics and the properties of yeast and how it functions? Well, the very first thing that I want to point out is that it only takes a small amount that seems insignificant, that would seem, what can the contents of this packet or those jars that you saw, what can that actually do into a large lump of dough? And Jesus is very specific, even though we have one verse, one sentence to go on here, because he specifies a quantity of flour. And in the translation I was reading, it said three measures. Some translations give you three pecks, but neither of those really told me what that was in, in, a, in a way that we can understand. And so I did a bit of digging and research, and I found out that one measure is the equivalent of 15 kilograms. So to give you some context, this bag of flour here is one and a half kilos. So we're, we're saying one measure is 10 of these, three measures is 30 of these bags of flour with a small amount of yeast, and that would make enough bread to feed several hundred people just from a tiny amount of yeast. So the significance of something so small having such great effect. If you think about the ministry of Jesus when he started, he didn't have hundreds and hundreds of disciples. He had just 12. And the effectiveness of those 12 dis disciples is undeniable. What was um, achieved, the things that happened, and how we have continued through the generations, thousands of years later, we are still seeing the effects of something starting out so small and having incredible impact. 
When the kingdom of God is introduced into a person or into a situation, what happens is on the inside, change is beginning to happen. Anything that yeast comes into contact with will change and it will become something completely new and different. You take flour and water and you make dough, but because you have got yeast present in it, you now have bread, which is far nicer to eat than a lump of dough. It completely changes and transforms that. The second point is that yeast works from the inside out. You don't make the dough with flour and water and then sprinkle the yeast on the top because that would make quite a strange loaf of bread, which I really want to try now, because I've just got that, that picture in my head. Um, you, you plunge that yeast right into the center of the dough, but more than that, you don't just leave it in the center, you knead it in, because that kneading process is distributing evenly every bit of yeast, and so it has a maximum effect on what it needs to do. When that yeast is in there, you can't see it, you can't detect it. Once it's put in, you can't take it out. It's there to do a job, and it will now do a job because it is present. And it works very slowly. The one thing that was very noticeable about the different types of yeast is this is labelled as fast action because we can't be bothered to wait for anything now, can we? We have to have everything instantly. Um, and this has been modified and engineered to work that way. But yeast in its original form was not. And the yeast that Jesus was talking about didn't work instantly. It took time. So whereas this yeast will take an hour to cause the dough to rise, we were looking at seven to eight hours. It was a very slow process. And it's really crucial that we understand that our part to play as yeast in our environment is to be an agent of change. This is a raising agent, and we are all raising agents for the kingdom. We are to be influenced wherever we find ourselves, wherever God has positioned us. Thirdly, the, king, the, the yeast works until the dough is completely risen. It doesn't stop after an hour or so and decide, you know what, I've had enough. I'm just going to stop now and half the dough will rise and the other half doesn't. It just keeps going which is quite an incredible thing in itself, that it knows when to stop. And the kingdom of God is no different. It spreads, it begins to change, it is completely comprehensive. It doesn't just affect a little pocket here and there, just a certain group of people. It keeps working and working until its effect is complete. What God has destined for it to do, it will do. Isaiah 11 verse 9 says, nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. And Habakkuk 2.14 says, but the time is coming when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It will not stop until it has accomplished what it has been set out to do. And fourthly, the yeast must be fed to remain active. And this was this crucial difference. This yeast doesn't need to be fed. You just throw it in and wait because it's been manufactured that way. 
But what Jesus was talking about was this process of those jars. I have to create this environment and I have to feed. I have to discard what has been used and I have to refresh with new food every single day in order for that to arrive at a point where it can have the effect it's supposed to have. The best quality bread will be produced from a yeast starter that has been fed every single day. If we had two loaves before us and one was made from a daily fed yeast starter and the other was made from one that was maybe fed once a week or once a fortnight, what you would find would be a visible external difference how they looked because one would be more effective in its rise than the other. But you'd also find that there would be an incredible difference in the flavour of the bread. And even more than that, the nutritional breakdown of the bread is far superior because it has had so much longer to work on all the molecules in the flour. It breaks down all of those things that we struggle with to digest. It works hard at them and it makes it a far more nutritionally superior product because of its daily feeding. I found out that, um, and I was fortunate enough to actually see one of these bakeries on a holiday. Um, there are bakeries that have been going for several hundred years, um, family bakeries, um, and they are so well known for the quality of their bread. And then I discovered why that was. And it's because they're making bread with a yeast starter like the ones that we've seen. And so the, the person who founded the company because it was a business and it necessitated them making bread every day, they started to produce the yeast in this format and would feed it every day because it was needed every day. And the success of this bakery is on the fact that they have continued to do this and they have passed this on from generation to generation to generation. So 150 years later, they are still making bread from the starter that has never been allowed to go to sleep. It has always remained active. And because of that, the incredible effect it has on the bread and the incredible profile of flavor that it brings is undeniable. And everybody flocks to these bakeries to get this type of bread. For us, the word of God is what we feed on. It is something that often we will take for granted and, you know, oh, it doesn't matter, I've missed a day today, I haven't read or I haven't prayed. And we'll just pick up where we left off. But if you starve your body naturally of food, you will know a difference. You skip a meal and, you know, your belly starts rumbling and you may be a little bit lightheaded. And anybody who's done a prolonged fast will know that it has quite an, an effect on your body. It makes you feel weak. It can lead to all sorts of health complications. And yet, do we have the same purpose and drive about how we look after our spiritual health? Are we allowing ourselves to be that first jar that has now become dormant because we've gone to sleep, because we've neglected to feed every day, to discard that which is unused, and to say, right, new fresh water, new fresh flour into this mix, because I need to be effective and do what God has asked me to do. And just like I shared earlier with the cakes and the wedding cake story, I, I know that yeast is also prone to damage um, and inactivity because of external factors. 
So when you are feeding this yeast starter, if you use water that is any temperature above 38 degrees Celsius, you will completely destroy the ability that the yeast has to produce carbon dioxide and it will die. You will not be able to get it back and revive it. It will just be completely dead. And um, likewise, if you were to add a large quantity of salt into the dough for your bread and that came in direct contact with the yeast, it would kill it and make it ineffective. So being aware that, yes, I need to feed myself spiritually because I need to grow in order to be this agent of change and this influence, but also I need to protect myself from all of those things in my society and culture, the environment where I am right now. What are those things that are trying to distract me and pull me away from God? In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, don't conform to the patterns of this world. And the message version says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. What are the things that we've become desensitized to, that we've allowed to become normal? But when we compare that to what God says in his word, he said, that was never my normal. But we've allowed it to be normal because everybody else says it's normal. And we become less effective because we choose to adopt a mindset that is not ours to adopt. So remembering that influence has to come from us out. We are the agent of change. We are the ones to do the influencing and we should not be the other way around. I want to invite the worship team to come back and in a few moments we'll enter into worship again through song but I want to ask you to consider what is it that God is saying to you today that maybe you've not realized was happening. We looked at the insignificant being very significant in the kingdom of God. That it doesn't matter how small you may think you are, how worthless you think you are, just because you don't have a degree in something or just because you haven't been um, well-educated or you don't run a group or you don't have... Whatever it is that you feel is inadequate for you does not mean that you are not expected to be somebody who can bring about change and influence somebody. Something small God will use for mighty things. And secondly, we said about it working from the inside out. God has to transform our hearts, first of all. There has to be that inward working whereby we may not be able to see it. Somebody else might not be able to see it straight away. But over time, it creates something new by default because whatever the kingdom of God comes into contact with will never be the same. It cannot stay as it was. It will be a new creation. And it will continue its work until it is completely done. God's not finished with any of us. But maybe we need to say, hey God, I I just didn't realize that I have this role to play. That you need to use me this way. And it doesn't matter how I feel, how insignificant I am to myself. That you will use this and you will complete what needs to be completed. But I have to acknowledge too that for it to remain active and not go to sleep... I have to feed it. I have to protect it from those things that are vying for my attention. What have I allowed to distract me? What do I need to put down? If 
we continually feed ourselves spiritually. I believe that those natural defenses against the things that would distract us will diminish. We are far more susceptible to their influence when we are not fed, when we are not in a good state of health and nutrition. So are you going to choose to maybe move from a once a week feeder to a daily feeder? Because the effect that you have, even though you can be active, you can have influence on a one, week, one day a week feed. It will not be as effective. It will not impact as much. And it will not have as much flavor as somebody who chooses to feed every single day. And I believe these were the points that Jesus was really trying to press home. Small has huge effects, but it starts on the inside. And you have to protect what is there and you have to nourish it. You have to feed it. So we're going to worship now. And while we're worshiping, I want to invite you, if if you have really resonated with one of those points, to, to come to the front and we'll gladly pray with you. But just ask God to say, God, what is it that I need to hear today? How do I need to respond to this message?